So can I tell you the funniest story? I mean, how much the older need the younger. So I am not technical at all. As a matter of fact, I think I learned how to Google about a year and a half ago, and I discovered why everybody is so much smarter than me. So I was asked to do a conference in Paris, and I'm flying home, and um, I am thinking, you know, my son Chris, he travels the world also, and you know, he's always texting from the plane. So I want to be able to do that. So I find the little cardboard thing and I look at it and I'm trying to figure out the directions on how I could text while we're flying, right? So I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm not getting it. So the French, um, the little French stewardess, you know, she comes up the aisle and she has the little cart. Ooh la la. And, uh, you know, they're also, you know, feminine and, you know, and she says, uh, Madame, may I help you? And I said, um, yes. I said, I I'm trying to text and I'm looking at the cardboard and I, I can't seem to understand. She says, oh, oh uh, please, please, uh, uh, can I have your device? And I said, okay. So I hand her my phone. You know, my phone is like really big. It, it's like for the underwater I mean, for somebody that never goes in water. But anyway, I have full protection on this thing. You know, you could, like, drop it from a plane. It will not break. And, um, and I hand her the device, the big, giant device. And, and she says, Qu'est-ce que c'est your uh, browser? Your browser. I go, um, she's saying, so, you know, what is your browser? So I go, um, my browser? Um, so I'm kind of thinking like she's asking me something personal. And, and I go, my browser? And I'm like, uh, my brassiere? Like, I don't like, no, like my browser, my browser. So she goes, yes, yes, madame, your browser, your your browser, and she, and I go, um, my browser. Uh, I said, I, I think I left it home. <laughs> so she like looks at me. She sucks her, cause she cannot laugh in my face, right? She holds onto the cart. She's like just shaking, and she says, No, Madame, your your browser, like Google. Uh, safari, I said, oh, my browser, the thing you browse on. I learned something new. So you know that she definitely, guys, please, if you could lower these lights, because I'm going to be 69, like in a few months, and um, we do not need all this light on me. And I want to be able to see the ladies. And, and um, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we can have fellowship with one another. I thank you that we're all important in the body of Christ, that you want to use each and every one of our lives. And God, I just pray that as you have already done. Thank you for the worship, God. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that was in this place, God, that's in this place. We thank you for Belmont Assembly. We thank you for Pastor Carlos and Yvonne. We thank you for Pastor uh, Tom, oh God, and, 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 um, Puri, oh God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for each and every one of the elders and leaders, oh God, that work this field of souls, Lord. And God, we ask that you add to their numbers, God. You add to their numbers because there's a world out there that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, oh God. So I pray along with my sisters, oh God, stir up a fire in our souls, oh God, to be witnesses, oh God, to your Great name, O oh Lord, because surely the world can use some good news. And we have the good news to share. Do something mighty, we pray, in us and through us, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Amen. <laughs>
You know, we do something in our church and our ladies' meetings, and we tell each other, I love you and I need you. So turn to your neighbor, to your right, your left, in the back, in the front. Say, I love you and I need you. I love you when I need you. I love you when I need you. I love you when I need you, my Ivana. Though in my heart, I love her. She's my dearest. I just love her, and I just get the opportunity to come here and be with them. And you must have been so excited when Pastor Carlos came for Father's Day. <laughs> Honestly, I prayed. I said, God, let the people give him the warmest greeting. He's a father in this house. I mean, he has labored, and he's just an amazing anointed preacher and, and pastor. And I just thank the Lord for them. I really do. Anyway, Isaiah 37, verse 31b, it'll be on the screens. And this is God speaking to his people that were devastated in ruins, and now he's bringing them to a new land. So I want you to relate it to your life when you were in the world, when you didn't know Christ, and now Christ brought you to a brand new land. And it goes on to say this. Once again, he says, you will put roots down, speaks of building a new life, in your own soil, in other words, where God has planted you, make that place your home, grow up, it literally means be strong and established, grow where you are planted, because you can't keep uprooting plants. Every time you uproot a plant, you destroy a bit of its roots, and the roots get weaker and weaker, and eventually that beautiful plant that could have been left in that soil where they were planted could end up dying. And then it goes on to say, and flourish. It literally means thrive, produce luxurious fruit. In the NIV, it says, you shall take root below in the soil God has planted you and bear fruit above. And bearing fruit is not an easy process. Think about it. A seed, a seed that looks nothing like the fruit that it's going to become. If you look at that Seed, it has absolutely no resemblance. Just like us, when we first came to Christ, we had no idea the plan that God had for our lives. We had no idea the potential that was locked up inside of us. But you take this seed and you place it not in the spotlight, but you place it in dirt, in filthy, stinky dirt. Cover it up, it's dark, it's cold, it's damp. Sometimes it's too hot, but that seed is stuck in the ground that God has planted for it. All of a sudden, somebody ends up putting manure on top of that dirt and waters it so that stinky smell could get all up inside of that seed. Think about your life. Other people put their stinky stuff in our lives. We're stuck having to bear what other people do to us, and yet it's in that process that that outer coat, it's literally called the outer protective coat. That protective coat, you know our guard, that thing that says people back off, stay away. All of a sudden, it starts to give way because for some reason that seed knows there's something better on the inside of it that needs to come out. Now, it's a fact 
that there are some seeds that are placed in the ground. If you would go back in the ground, it never sheds its outer coat. It refuses to sacrifice the outer coat for what's on the inside, which will become fruitful where other people could take a bite and taste and see that the Lord is good. If you would go in that ground, that seed will be filled with maggots and worms. But the other seed, all of a sudden, is unrecognizable. You can't even find a trace of its outer coat. And now the same dirt that tried, that was useful in, in, in bearing this outer coat from shedding, right, has now becomes a resistance to the fruit coming forth. So the same dirt that was useful now becomes an obstacle, and that fruit has to push its way through the dark dirt. And actually, the, um, the farmers call it the breakthrough process. There has to be, um, a, a, you have to push through for the breakthrough. And when you break through, now fruit comes forth that looks nothing like the seed that was placed in the ground. And you become now life for somebody else. And that's what God intends in our life. He wants us to produce this luxurious fruit. But this fruit isn't for ourselves. It's for others. So I want to talk tonight about being an influencer. The definition of an influencer is one who inspires or guides. We are all influencers in one way, shape, or form, whether we like it or not. The way we act, the way we dress, the way we, well, the way we react, the way we, we parent, the way we keep our house. We, we all are influencers either in the positive or the negative. I had, we had a woman in our church. Yvonne knows the woman very well. And um, she had a daughter. And the mother, the woman, she refused to call my husband Pastor Derso. She called him Michael. She was very abrupt. She was very rude. And she had a lot of problems with her daughter. But for the life of her, she couldn't understand why her daughter was rebellious. It just escaped her. She didn't see the connection, right? So the way we act is the way we influence others, whether we like it or not. We could turn around and say, well, nobody should be following me. People are going to follow you. Today, somebody sent me a graduation cap of their daughter graduating, and on the cap, it said she is clothed with dignity. She does not fear the future. I mean, that's amazing. This young lady that goes to our church goes to a school that's predominantly Jewish, and yet unashamedly decorated her, her graduation cap. These parents, you have to say, well done, parents. She was influenced in a positive way. And you and I, we are local influencers. That's what we are, whether we like it or not. But I want to challenge us that are rooted in Christ, that have been in the dirt, that have grown up, that have produced fruit to inspire others to make the most important decision of their life, where will they spend eternity? And you'll think to yourself, but I haven't been to theology school. It doesn't matter. Or I don't have an official title. Or I don't think I'm capable. We are all connected to people who live in our neighborhood, who go to, you know, the bodega or, you know, the neighborhood store, the 99 cent store. We're local influencers. We go to the nail salon. We're connected to people. People are watching our lives. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are nurses. Some of you are sick and have to go to the hospital. We're local influencers. We are to influence people no matter the circumstances we're in. 
We're touching other people's lives. I went to the OBGYN, you know how fun that is. And um, guys, just turn around and plug, plug your ears. So you're on the table and you know the table with the stirrups and you know you have a gown covering you and you know they're looking in you know to see if everything is working and and um, all of a sudden uh, she says to me wow she says everything looks good up there and she says um, you know how many um, partners have you had in the last 10 years and I said I said I haven't had another, a different partner in the last 45 years. Now you gotta picture this, I'm on the table. She has her, she's underneath the veil. <laughs> and all of a sudden she goes, what? You haven't had a different partner in 45 years? And then she went back in. And she said, how did you do that? She went back in. And I gave her my whole testimony on the platform. Legs up, veil over. I said, there is no place where we cannot talk about Jesus Christ. Dr. Randy Rothstein, she is Jewish. She says she was in tears. She says, I have never heard a story like that. But I know that I influenced her. I know that I influenced her. She told me, I know there's something different about you. And it's not by looking at my insides, it's by my outside life. In Mark 4, there's a famous story, you all know it, and it's about, it's about the storm, right? About Jesus sleeping in the boat. And it starts off before the story, it speaks about these crowds that are following Jesus, and all of a sudden the crowds could go no further because Jesus now gets into the boat with his disciples. But I never noticed this before. It goes on to say in Mark 4.36, it says, and other boats followed. So let's think about the crowds they're the outsiders. There are people in our lives, they watch us from afar. But then there are people that are insiders. They are close to us. They see us up close and personal. Jesus may not be in their boat, but Jesus is in our boat. And these other boats now are able to follow and watch. Did they have binoculars? Did they see the tirade that the disciples went through when the storm arose? When they said, Jesus, don't you care? Were they close enough to hear the way the, the disciples reacted? There are people in our lives that are watching us closely. They're watching the way we act in situations. They're watching the way we react through our storms. And because Jesus was in their boat, regardless of how they acted, Jesus calms the storm. So they benefited because Jesus calmed the storm of the disciples. Now their life was benefited. There are people whose lives are benefited because Jesus is in our boat. But they are watching us close and personal watching how we act and how we react. Our church did this uh, impactful uh, series in the um, uh, before the summer in the springtime, and it was called Local Missionaries, and it was all about the book of Acts. And my assignment was to uh, speak on um, Acts 9. And anyway, we described it like this. A local missionary is a believer called by God to reach their local community. Or we could say a local influencer is a believer called by God to reach your local community. One writer wrote this, one of the most important lessons we can learn from the book of Acts is that Christianity is a lay movement. Where's all the PowerPoint? No, we don't have any? Oh, because I have all this written out. 
Isn't that weird? Like it looked like Star Trek, like Maria Joseph with this thing goes. Da -da -da -da. Anyway, so I don't know what happened to all the PowerPoint. We don't know. Angelique, no? Okay, so let's just go on, because by then it's gonna be done. One writer wrote one of the most important lessons we can learn from the book of Acts is that Christianity is a lay movement and that the work of witnessing was not committed to a single class such as pastors, but to all believers. When I first talked to somebody about being a, a lay movement or a lay person, they said to me, well, what exactly is a lay person? I want to clear some, some thinking up that might be distorted because the word lay people implies or suggests that you are ordinary. But there's nothing ordinary about a born-again blood-washed, spirit-filled, sanctified believer. Or that the clergy is the called and the lay people are the not-so-called. We are all called. We are all co-laborers. We are all commissioned to be full-time witnesses or influencers, full-time Christians to gospelize, tell the people the good news because we have a story to tell. In other words, guys, the life of the church's growth, the longevity of the gospel depends on you and me. Uh, on whether we tell our story or not. And don't be afraid of how people are going to receive you because a person with an experience is greater than a person with an argument. We can never, right? That blind man, they were like badgering him. He says, look, I don't know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I see. I might not know the Greek and the Hebrew. I may not know how to quote scriptures down the line, but I know this, once I was blind, but then I met a man and his name was Jesus and he changed my life. And we cannot lose focus. As a church, we cannot become more interested in our programs and our beautiful buildings that we forget about the people who live in our communities. Think about a neighborhood restaurant. You walk in, to go and get seated, to go and eat, and the servers are cleaning the glasses. They're worrying about, are the glasses clean? They're worrying about if the dishes are spotless. They're talking to one another. They're making sure that everything is in place, but they're missing the forest for the tree because that person came in to eat. And we cannot miss the forest for the tree. Listen, our decorations are beautiful, our, our, our Display of food is beautiful, but if we miss the stranger that walks in and, and they don't feel welcome, then, then we're missing it. As I was speaking a few weeks ago, I was at a conference and um, in Texas, as a matter of fact, and I'm on the platform and I'm speaking something totally different. And I look out at, at, this, um, at this massive church and the Holy Spirit said to me, these words, he says that the enemy who is fueling the culture is trying to make the church seem irrelevant, not needed, disposable, not necessary. So I'm preaching, but I'm having a conversation in my spirit with the Holy Spirit. And I said, how is that possible? And he says, it will happen by believers ceasing to be witnesses, by ceasing to tell their stories. And listen, before I go on, we as believers, we fall into traps. Number one, we become so interested in growing our faith, we have ceased from going, from being witnesses. We're growing, but we're not going. Growing, but not going. And I will tell you this, as a church, when you cease to go, when you cease to reach out to non-believers, you're going to get weird. You're going to get weird. You're going to have an us and them mentality. You have no connection to the non-believer. You'll be praying, God, get me out of that job because that non-believer, you know, 
they're bothering me. You know, they might be living a different lifestyle. No, you're in there to be an influencer. You're not in there to be taken out. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. But we get this weirdness. We speak in Christianese. People don't know what the heck we're talking about. It's an us and them mentality. The Bible says that, lo- that knowledge puffs up. I mean, so what if you know the Greek and the Hebrew? Good for you. What are you doing with it? But love builds up. Love builds up. You think about the priest and the Levite. Remember that Samaritan? He was lying on the roadside, and he was bleeding to death. And what did the priest and the Levite do? They crossed the street. Because, you see, one of them was busy going to fulfill their duties, and one of them was coming from fulfilling their duties. In other words, one was going to Bible study, and the other one was leaving Bible study, and one had to get home to their family, and the other one, they couldn't get involved because they had to go to choir practice or Bible study, and they crossed the street. And that road, the road that the Samaritan was on, it's literally called the way of blood. And the world is the way of blood. People are on the sidewalks. People are crying. They're aching. They might even have a smile on their face. They might even look good. But they need to hear the good news. And what are we doing? We're crossing the street because we're busy going to Bible study. I mean, that's important. It's important that we grow, yes. But it's also important that we go. When... when, In John 1, 41 and verses 42 and 45, the first thing Andrew did was was when he met Jesus, was he, he, he went to find his brother Simon and tell him that he found the Messiah. He he didn't say, you know, before he left, you know, Lord, teach me the deep mysteries of the faith. Lord, teach me, you know, what the Torah says on page 996. He didn't say that. He went to get his brother. The Bible says that Philip, when he met the Messiah, he found Nathaniel. They went, they went, and they 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 went out to tell someone else, I met a man. I met I, I met the Messiah. In in Mark 5:18, you know the story about um Jesus in the boat, and he gets to the other side, and he finds this demon-possessed man, that man from Gadarenes. And this man, he's terrorizing the town. I mean, he's a bad dude. He has the whole town on lock, and everybody's afraid of him. They put chains on him. The guy, you know, rips the chains off. He is, you know, he is just gangster, like totally gangster. And, 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 and Jesus comes. He comes on the, on the, on, on the ground of this, of this town, and he lays his hands on him, and this guy is totally set free. And what does this guy say? The first thing he says is, Jesus, let me go with you. But Jesus says, no. He says, go back. Go back into your town and tell the others, tell your family what I have done for you. You see, it's grow and go. It's go and grow. There's, uh, there's something called the law of balance. We have people that they want to go, 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 but they never grow, grow, grow. Then we have people that grow, 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 but they never want to go, go, go. We got to go and grow, right? B, as Christians, we're being intimidated to keep our mouth shut while the world is shouting their agenda. But if you look at the book of Acts, the more the church was persecuted, the more they were told to shut their mouth, the more they opened their mouth, and the more the church grew. So we cannot play into the enemy's hands by not telling our story. Um, see, we don't see ourselves as capable, of, as competent ministers of the gospel. Listen, if you have hundreds of people that walk in these doors every Sunday, well, you have hundreds of full-time ministers, don't you? Hundreds of full-time witnesses, hundreds of full-time influencers. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospels. Well, in the book of Acts, the world was right outside their door when they walked out of the upper room. And we have the world right outside our doors. Every nation is represented 
right here on the streets of Chicago, in the streets of New York. We don't have to go far. Our go isn't far. It's close. I want us to read Acts 9, 1 to 18. So this thing isn't working. The, we do have it. Okay, so we're going to put Acts 9. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I did all that PowerPoint, guys. All of those definitions, everything was written out. Okay. Ready? Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, might be found, uh, might, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, who becomes Paul, he is on a mission to destroy the church. He is the church's biggest opposition. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I don't know why in every other translation except the New King James and the King James, that verse is taken out because that verse is very vital. We're going to go into it in a few minutes. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go to a city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice and seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He's blinded. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Then now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. He's a local influencer. He lives in the neighborhood named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said, arise and go to a street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a, he has seen a man named Ananias. He's seen you coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, <laughs> I have heard from, from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I want to talk about the three elements needed for salvation. The first component needed for salvation is the non-believer. The person that does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The person that doesn't believe that you must be born again. The person that has not yet had an experience with Jesus. The non-believer. The Bible says, for God so, for God so loved the world. My husband doesn't usually tell me he loves me. He tells me, I so love you. I so love you. That means I really, 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 really love you. It's like love on steroids. So God doesn't say, for God loved the world. He says, for God so loved the world. I so love the world. My love for you is past any feeling possible. I so love the world. I so love the world. But the world doesn't know that God so loves them. He loves people who consider him their enemy. Yet Jesus doesn't consider them his enemy because he so loves the world. Religion says no way. God can't love them. But God is in the people business. And guys, you and I as the church, we have to come to terms that a very good God loves very bad people. 
As a matter of fact, he runs the lost and found department. And Paul was lost, and he was a very bad man. However, according to God, Paul is his chosen instrument. And before Paul encounters Jesus and encounters Ananias, he's disguised. He's incognito. He hasn't shed his outer protective coat yet. So, so he's disguised. He, he's a religious radical. He's a terrorist. He's a heartless beast. He's dragging men and women out. He's headstrong. He's proud. He's intimidating. He's angry. He's rebellious. He's relentless. He's a murderer. He's a tool of Satan. But God, who so loves the world, sees a chosen instrument which tells me as local influencers, don't ever judge a book by its cover. Don't ever write anybody off. Don't ever say, oh God, could never save them. God is in the saving business. He so loves the world. Listen, those not so good people live on our block. I was once a not so good person. I did drugs from the age of 10 years old to the age of 25. I did crazy things. I was violent. I was fighting in the street. I've been arrested. I've smuggled drugs. I've done everything. You name it, I've done it. I tried to commit suicide. But God so loved me. And I meet a God in a hotel room living with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, going to be 45 years. God, in his mercy, saved us. It seemed like, why would God save me? I was a hopeless case. I was a sinner. I would curse God out on a dime. But God so loved me because his love is not conditional. It's not fickle like our love. God loves us. And those not so good people, they live on our block. They ride the trains and buses with us. They're the local drug dealer. They're the local gang member. They're the local hooch. But right now, they're incognito. They're rebellious. They're obnoxious. They're resistant. They're relentless. They're threatening and unrepentant. But Lord, they're sinners. Yes, but I call them to be saints. They're enemies, but I call them to be friends says, I didn't come to judge. I came to save. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. So let us stop condemning people. But to save the world through him. Today's enemies, tomorrow's friends. Today rebellious, tomorrow humble. Today impure, tomorrow pure and holy. We're those local influencers, those local ministers, the local spokesmen, the local grace givers, the local goodwill ambassadors. And as local influencers, we need fresh eyes to see what God sees. Not only how God sees, but how, how not only what God sees, but how he sees. Because it's not what we see, it's how we see. We need to change our mindset to change how we see the people in the world. Component number two, in between... Saul and Ananias was the Holy Spirit connection. The Holy Spirit makes every mission impossible possible. And what we don't see is as important as what we do see because God is always working behind the scenes. You see a hard exterior. You have no idea what God is doing in somebody's life. The Bible says there was a light, an encounter that knocked Paul down to the ground. But notice, it was a private encounter because the men around them couldn't hear what God was saying to him. They heard a voice, but they couldn't hear. They could not see. They didn't see anybody. It was God and Paul. He was confronting him. He was, because he's the convictor. He's the convincer. He's lays the groundwork for us, for the local influencer to step in. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And my son Jordan taught me this. Anytime God says your name twice, it means you thought you were right, or you thought you were living right, or you thought you were working for me. Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, you murderer. Saul, Saul, you, you angry, proud. Saul, Saul. 
Why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. And then he says this sentence, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad is something a goad is something that you come up against and causes you pain. Like a thorn that stings or a pointed rod that prods ca cattle to step back. It's, it's like a warning. It says, like, get back. If you keep going forward, it's, it's, it's an obstacle. You can't go forward because you're in pain. Have you ever been in the middle of an intense argument? And while you're rolling deep, you realize you're wrong. You hit a goad. But being wrong and strong, even though you stink to high heavens, you are determined to come out smelling like a rose. Well, this was Saul. God was putting goads. God was prodding him. God was saying, get back, but Saul is so wrong and strong, he is relentless. Like when people would tell us, you need to be safe. What do you mean I need to be safe? You are saved and I'm not saved? Oh, church. I'm not going to church. That's corny. I'm not one of those holy, you know, remember those things we used to say? Those nasty little things. God, you see what I used to say. So Saul, he, he, he's, even though God is putting goads up in his life, he's not going to back down. Even though the writing, it's on the wall, right? God is setting up roadblocks. So let's look at just some of the roadblocks real quick. In Acts 5, there's a story about the high priest and elders, and they want to put the apostles to death. They want to put them in jail. But an angel, you know the story, opens the jail cell. The jail is closed. Somehow they get out of the jail and they're in now the temple preaching the gospel. And now the, 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 the Pharisees and the leaders of the Sanhedrin, they are so infuriated with these disciples because they're unstoppable and they want to stone them. And a man named Gamaliel, very important name, he ran the school of Gamaliel. He's, he's the doctor of the Jewish law. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's well-respected. He's a leading authority in the Sanhedrin. As a matter of fact, he trained Saul since he was 13 years old. He's Saul's idol. Saul is going to become Gamaliel one day. He's going to take over his school. Gamaliel stands up and says... Leave them alone. Leave them alone, he says, because if what they're doing isn't of God, it'll fizzle out. He says, but if what they're doing is of God, you better back up. He's right. Because you're not going to be able to fight against God. You talk about a goad, his idol. What? What? Leave them alone? Are you getting soft in your old age, Gamaliel? Are you kidding me? What do you mean? If what they're doing is of God, there's no way what they're doing is of God. You know he was irritated, a goad, but he doesn't back down. Then he holds the coat of Stephen. As they're throwing stones, the Bible says that Stephen's face shone like an angel. And he hears, he's in earshot of, of hearing Stephen say, Lord, forgive them. Where did Stephen get that from? From Jesus, forgive them. Don't hold this to their charge. A goad. Here's Saul thinking he's serving the living God. He's so full of anger. And the guy that he's murdering has the face of an angel. And he's praying for forgiveness for him. I mean, how does he reason that the apostles, the cell is locked, but they're no longer in the cell? 
gets a goat. And you, he knew about the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning, how the Pharisees, the Bible says, they bribed the guards to say that the disciples came to take their body and steal it. Fake news. He knew about the veil being torn from top to bottom the minute Jesus said, it is finished. Gold. Maybe you can help me, Kat, to just play that song. See, before God sends us, we have no idea the secret workings of the Holy Spirit that's being done. And now he's left blind for three days, helpless, staggering. The man who was always in control now loses all control and has to be taken by the hand. The man who was always in charge has to depend on others. The man who thought he could see now has scales. But component number three, and this is the most powerful scripture, verse 10. Now there was a believer. That has to be the most powerful scripture. Now there was a believer, not a pastor, not a scholar, not a professor, not a bishop, not a deacon, not an elder, a believer. And notice it doesn't say now there was just a believer because there's no such thing as just a believer. Because believers believe. Believers have the power of the living God living on the inside of them. And here comes Ananias. He's the hero. He's the closer. He's the Mariano Rivera in the ninth inning. He's going to shut this bad boy down. God could have sent Peter. He could have sent uh, Philip. But he doesn't. Because there's the local guy who happens to be the believer. God doesn't have to send the evangelist to have a tent meeting. God has you and you and you and you and me. The potential that's inside of us to cause somebody else's life to change. And as Paul's eyes were closed, Ananias' eyes were open. You see, the same Holy Spirit that appeared to Saul appeared to Ananias. And Ananias just happened to be the guy because he lived in the neighborhood where the bad stuff was going to go down. And God is sending him to Saul. I mean, how could God send me to Saul? I'm not learned. I didn't, I didn't study with the Pharisees. I didn't go to the school of Gamaliel. Yeah, but I didn't send you there for a debate. I sent just sent you there on my behalf and he's like God you know he's our enemy and he says no no enemy today friend tomorrow he, he's my chosen instrument for the task at hand but you know what Ananias you're my chosen instrument for this task you see we're all his chosen instruments God just doesn't have one chosen instrument. Every single one of us. We're his workmanship created for good things in Christ, which have been prepared in advance for us to do. And Ananias, he's shaking in his boots or in his sandals. <laughs> but he has to put aside his fears. We're all fearful when God says, open your mouth. As you're paying for the milk, open your mouth. As you're getting your nails done, just open your mouth. Just be kind. Be loving. Be condemning. You know, today, I was there's a Starbucks in the hotel, and me and my husband went, and I asked the guy, he says, wow, there's a lot of different conventions going on. And he says, yeah, there's this kind of convention and that. And he says, and yeah, there's this Bible study group. They've been here a week. He says, you know, they're very aggressive. He says, and it's like they're ready for a fight. That's not how we go. First of all, you just don't go to anybody. You go to people that you're prompted to because the Holy Spirit is preparing their hearts. You're the closer. You're the hero of the story. 
Ananias, he must have been shaken in his sandals. I mean, he's afraid. Who isn't afraid? I'm afraid every time I get up here. I have a little luggage full of fear, doubt, apprehension, insecurities. But what good is it if we have the Holy Spirit prompted by him and we don't obey him? So we got to do it afraid, ladies. You got to do it afraid. And Ananias, he takes his luggage of fear and he knocks on the door. He says, Brother Saul. You know what, Saul? You know what the Bible says? He says, Brother Saul. Where did he get that from? Jesus called Judas friend in the garden. He didn't call him traitor, betrayer. He called him friend. See, it's not only that we go, it's how we go. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to restore your sight. That's what we are. We're restoring people's sight so they could see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And because Ananias went in the right spirit, Saul's life was changed. See, if we don't go in the right spirit, people's scales, they're just reinforced. They just say, you see those self-righteous Christians? You see them holding up their signs? God called us to be a sign. A sign of love and mercy and compassion. That was his trademark. He was compassionate. He wasn't a compromiser. He told the adulterer, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But it was with kindness. Saul's life is changing. Instead of going from house to house to destroy the church, he now went from house to house to build up the church. He went from the greatest preacher of the law to the greatest preacher of grace. How many Pauls are still souls because we haven't been in Ananias? How many Pauls are still souls? My son Jordan taught me that. And you know what? We never hear of Ananias again. But his one act of obedience changed kingdom because there was a believer. Because there was a believer, the face of Christianity changes forever. It spreads further and wider than ever before, all because there was a believer who obeyed the voice of God in fear and trembling. Every one of us has potential on the inside of us. Every one of us can influence the greatest opponent of God to become the greatest proponent. And the only qualification you need is to be a believer. I want to end with this story. It says a Sunday school teacher, a Mr. Kimball, in 1858 led a Chicago shoe clerk to Christ. The clerk, Dwight L. Moody, became an evangelist, in, and in England in 1879, he awakened evangelistic zeal in the heart of Frederick B. Meyer, a pastor of a small church. You know, Frederick B. Meyer, preaching on an American college campus, brought a student named Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Chapman engaged in YMCA work employed a former baseball player, Billy Sunday, to do evangelistic work. Billy Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of local men were so enthusiastic afterward, they planned another evangelistic campaign, bringing Mordecai Ham to town to preach. During Ham's revival, a young man named Billy Graham heard the gospel and yielded his life to Christ. It may be that you were one of the thousands that were affected by that life. But none of that could have happened without the real hero of the story, Mr. Kimball, the Sunday school teacher. Mr. Kimball, who preaches the gospel to, to a man that was brash and rude, that couldn't even read. 
D.L. Moody has affected Chicago in ways that nobody else, they said if he would have had television and social media, he would have reached more people all because a Sunday school teacher goes into a shoe store and tells someone about Jesus Christ. We're the Mr. Kimball's guys. We're the Ananias. That's who we are. We may not be the Billy Graham, but there would be no Billy Graham without Mr. Kimball. And I want us, first and foremost, every head bowed. If you're in this room today and you had no idea that God so loved you, Maybe you come to church, but you've never given your life completely to Christ. Maybe you're holding back a little part for yourself because you don't realize how much you're loved. You don't realize the potential that's in you. But tonight you want to say, Lord, I give, my, I give myself to you, Lord. I give my life to you. If that's you, every eye closed, I want you to put your hand up. And I want you to put it down. Anyone in this room, you've never been born again. So that means we're all believers. See, a night like tonight would have been a good night to invite someone. This is the only way the gospel is going to go forward, guys. Because that fruit isn't only for you, it's for others. And I'm speaking about, I'm speaking to myself. I want us, if you would say, God, I want you to use me in a new way. I want to be a local influencer, Lord. I don't want to keep all this goodness. I, I don't want to keep on growing, growing, growing. And I'm tired of thinking I don't know enough or too insecure to think I have anything to say but you're here tonight and you say God I, I, I want to be the Mr. Kimball in the simplest way God I want you to use me if that's you I want you to stand to your feet you know what maybe we could hold hands. I'm going to ask the singers to come up. And I want us to sing that song a few times and then we're going to pray. our hands to the Lord. This is a consecration. This is a dedication. This is a new way of thinking. This is shedding off the old protective coat. This is allowing God to allow all the potential, all the fruit, all the juicy stuff he's put in us. We don't have to be clones of anybody else. We could be who we are, created by God, natural in our surroundings to tell people the goodness of the Lord. Father, we're all standing with our hands clenched. We want to consecrate ourselves to you tonight, Lord, fresh and new. Lord, we don't want to forget why you saved us. We don't want to forget the real purpose of why you came into the world because you so love the world, God. You love the sinner. You love the sinner, God. You shed your blood, God, for the sinner. And you said it is finished. It's a wrap. And God, I am asking that you give us the courage to be a witness not in any religious Christianese kind of way, but when we feel prompted, Lord, 
to maybe let somebody know we care about them. Maybe to say the simplest sentence, God. God, forgive us. Forgive us for crossing the street. Forgive us for being so afraid to open our mouth. God, forgive us for maybe being judgmental. Forgive us for thinking that that person is just outside your reach, God. Forgive us, Lord. I ask that you give us the mind of Christ. I ask that you wash us fresh and new, God, and baptize us with the Holy Spirit, oh God. Let the church grow, oh God. Let it never be large enough to contain all the people because we were witnesses. We were local influencers, oh God. Let us never minimize our potential. Let us never minimize, oh God, what we can do. What one sentence could change a life, God. Some plant and some water, but you're the one that gives the increase, oh God. So do it for us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, light us on fire. Take away our dullness, oh God. Take away our dullness, oh God. And let us see with your eyes that you so love this world, that you gave your one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Mighty things will you do through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. And amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. You know, I was reminded of something. You know, missed opportunities can be very devastating. we're not obedient. I'm one of those people that I am afraid to open my mouth and share the gospel. I feel intimidated. I feel like I'm inadequate. I feel like they're going to say something that I'm not going to be able to answer. Forgetting that I have to trust in the Holy Spirit. Because God told us that the Holy Spirit will give us words. And I remember this precious brother, Maria knows, Brother Garlock. I can't remember the whole story, but I remember that he said he went to visit this family. And in the back room, there was someone in bed. And, and he was talking to the family out in the living room, I guess. And he kept hearing the voice say, hey, preacher. And for whatever reason, he didn't go. And maybe the family members told him not to go. And they kept calling him. <laughs> but he never went. And the following day, that woman passed away. And I remember when he shared this, he broke down because he felt he knew he had missed God if he would have gotten up and went into that room and spoken to that woman or that man. Maybe they were asking for prayer. We'll never know. But I'm so grateful that God is the God of grace and of mercy. And if we miss the mark, in obedience, he will send someone else in our place. And they will receive the blessing that we have forfeited. Because there is a blessing that we experience, a joy that we experience when we tell someone about our Savior. That he can be their Savior. There's such a joy and such a peace and such a rest that 
comes upon us and it increases our faith and our boldness to speak more to others. So as Maria prayed, God, I want to be bold. I thank you, Lord, for your word tonight where it challenges me afresh and anew to put aside my fears and my doubts and solely rest on the leading of your spirit and walk in obedience in Jesus' matchless name. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you. Let's thank the Lord for his mercy. He's the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth. one of the women next to you and give them a hug and tell them that God is awesome.